this is not the girl that you bring home to mama. This is not someone you're very proud of. This is not someone you've always had your eye on, especially as a prophet. And in those days, maybe more than ever, in those days, it mattered who you married from the standpoint of there were political alignments, there were social and economic alignments, and and, and, and partnerships that came out of that. Now, let me say this. It matters who you marry now a great deal. And as I tell couples frequently when I get a chance to talk to them, um, marriage is a lot like cooking. Everything's better in the crock pot. Nothing comes out of the microwave tasting awesome, right? It'll do, but just for a little while, low and slow, right? I mean, I thought I was going to marry three other girls before I married my wife. I'm glad I didn't, and I'm sure they are too. And so... So God's now called Hosea to marry Gomer, and you think about it, it's almost like a Jerry Springer episode. If you thought about the titles of some of his shows, I Will Never Forget You, Honey, It's Over, I Live in a Car, Backstabbing Relatives, I Have a Secret Life, and Preacher Marries a Prostitute. You you read that, you hear that, and you think, surely this is not what God's going to call him to do. But when you look throughout Scripture and the totality of it, you see that oftentimes oftentimes God calls calls people to do things that doesn't seem very logical. And one of the reasons it doesn't seem very logical is because we are are hampered by the space-time continuum. We can only see what's right at the tip of our nose, but God has the greater uh, view of history. He's in the past, he's in the present with us now, and he's in the future awaiting our arrival. And so when God calls people to do certain things, even though it doesn't make sense in the moment, it very much makes sense. You remember, it didn't make sense for God to call Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. And you know if you're a student of the the Bible and the Old Testament specifically that God stopped him to see um, his his obedience. It didn't make sense for God to tell Moses to stretch out his staff over the Red Sea and for it to part and for they to walk across on dry land. It didn't make sense that God would call Noah to build a boat well over a football field large in an area where it had never rained before. You see, God sometimes asks us to do things that don't seem logical. And our opportunity, and more than opportunity, is our responsibility is not to decipher what makes sense and what doesn't make sense. Our responsibility is to obey. So the character of Gomer and Hosea, you see, he was a prophet who was a man of God. She was a prostitute who was a woman of the night. He was a prophet who was a lover of one. She was a prostitute who was a lover of many. A prophet who was saved for God, and she was estranged from God. He was a name that was known in time, and she was a name who was known in town. He was one who stood up for righteousness, and she was one who laid down in unrighteousness. Can you imagine being a participant in that wedding ceremony? Inviting friends, the community, anybody that she may have been close with or used to have been close with until her her, her new way of life just ostracized her from the community except for those who would be only known in secret. Or, Or his parents, his family, his contemporaries. Can you imagine when, when the, the, the preacher would have said, Gomer, do you promise to be in him all things 
a true and faithful wife, to go where he goes and to stay where he stays, to follow his leadership, to partner with him in ministry. That God should give both of you to pray for him always, to cleave to him and to him only until death only separates you. Can you imagine being one of the participants, one of the attenders, as they heard that? Surely people were looking around at each other, shaking their head. There's no chance. Join me in Hosea chapter 3, and you're going to see that not only did he marry her and they had children, but now she has left him. She's gone away. She's flown the coop. And the Lord said to me, go again and love a woman who is loved by another man, who is an adulteress. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lectic of barley. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the role of the prostitute or belong to another man. And I will make the same commitment to you. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or house of gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in his latter days. The first thing we see in this passage is that God's redeeming love is unconditional. That God's redeeming love is unconditional. You see, it was one thing for God to tell Hosea to go and to take Gomer as his wife. I don't know what the process was for you men when you were trying to choose a wife or women when you were trying to go through the options of who was eligible and would you say yes under this circumstance and what about his history. But this was kind of a lose-lose for Hosea. This is not who he was going to marry And by all accounts and purposes, most prophets were were going to be single anyway because of the life they lived. But he goes and he takes her, and they have children. It really does nothing for her reputation. If anything, it hurts his reputation. And then after having children, providing stability, someone that's going to treat her right, that's not going to abuse her or use her, she then leaves again. And God calls him and says, listen, Go and take her again. She's an adulterous woman. I know this. You're not going to tell me anything I don't know, Hosea, but go and get her again. Matter of fact, she's sunken so low that she's been with a man, and now she's a slave. Gomer's got to show up and buy her off the auction block. And so it was one thing to be ridiculed by your family, your friends, the people in the community when you're going to marry a woman like this, but now she has left him, and you know that Hosea heard, I told you so. You should have listened to me. What did you think was going to happen? You know what kind of woman she is. But now he's going to go back and abandon everything so that he can go and redeem her once again and not just talk her back into coming home. He now has to put his money where his mouth is. He has to buy his wife back. That is unconditional love. Gomer has done nothing to deserve the love of Hosea. She doesn't deserve the love, the affection, the temperance. And the commitment. She's done nothing to qualify herself for this type of love, leadership, 
and presence in our life. But the unconditional love that Hosea has developed for, for Gomer and the unconditional love that God has for his people, specifically the nation of Israel and those of us that are in him, calls him to do something that doesn't follow logic. Hosea 3.1 says, Go again and love a woman who is loved by another man, who is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel. Hosea 14, 4 says, I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned from them. Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates or shows his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And speaking of weddings, a chapter that we're all very familiar with, verse 13, or verse 7 of 1 Corinthians 13 says, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. I'll, I'll, I'll admit something to you. As a pastor, I love doing weddings, but there's nothing that makes me more nervous. Funerals are easier than weddings. In, in, in a funeral, you, you, you have empathy for the family and sympathy. And that's not something we have to muster up. That's not something we have to conjure up. Weddings are just so easy to mess up. I've been doing a wedding before and called the groom an ex-boyfriend's name of the bride. It was not my finest moment in life. I've done a wedding before where I've lost my place in the notes and made up about just two paragraphs of just gibberish <laughs> and everybody it's there's so much pressure because girls have been planning this moment for 300 years of their 22 years in life you don't want to mess up and there's they've got cameras from every angle they've now got like you know um, drones flying over you and it's just you don't want to mess up when when Hosea took Gomer there was none of that. There, there probably were people that were hedging bets on how long it would last before she would go back to her way of life. And oftentimes when a bride and a groom, when they're, when they're standing at the front of a church or an outdoor wedding, wherever it is, they're trying to think about what they're saying to each other. But more than that, those of you that have been married know you're trying not to mess up the words. And so we're thinking much more about the enunciation of the words than the actual meaning and the commitment of the words. But there is a time when it's richer or poorer. There's a time when it's in sickness or in health. There's a time when the times are good and there's a time when the times are bad. And somehow... We miss it from the altar to the door, and when life happens, we want to pack our bags and roll out. But God's love is totally different. It's unconditional. And this is not just a parable. This historically happened. God called Hosea to take Gomer to illustrate his relationship with the nation of Israel and that his love would outlast any love that the earth would ever, ever know. The second thing we see in your notes is that God does whatever it takes to buy us back.
Hosea 3.2 says, So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lectic of barley. Men, just think in, in, in your mind, how, how mad would you have been? How heartbroken would you have been? How embarrassed would you have been? Ladies, if the shoe was on the other foot, how, how, how emotionally damaging and soul-wrecking would this moment have been? That not only did you proverbially roll the dice and take someone that everybody in the known world says you shouldn't take, but now she's left you again, she's with another man, and now she's a slave. And you've got to go and not just buy her back, but take her back and welcome her back. God does whatever it takes to buy us back. I, I, I remember pastor saying years ago when I was a teenager, he says that the way that God reasons and the way that we reason are two different ways because God's love controls his wrath. When you think about what would make God the most angry, and oftentimes those are things that would make us angry as well, but we express it and, and, and experience it in a, in a different way because God is holy and we are tainted. God's love controls the wrath that we think's coming. Mark 10, 45 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You have to assume that there was conversations between Gomer and Hosea when Hosea went to take her. For the record, she didn't have a lot of suitors. It wasn't like people were lining up asking for her hand in marriage. She was a commodity of physical nature that men didn't love, but men enjoyed briefly. And along comes Hosea. And now he's committing his life to her. And he loves her. Don't, don't you know there had to be conversations in the get to know you periods like, why, why me, Hosea? There could not be two people that were further apart than you and I. Why, why would you take me? Why would you do this to yourself? And it may be the first time in her life or the first time in a long time that she experienced love without requirements. That it was just unconditional love. Even when he went to buy her back, he didn't browbeat her. He said, listen, you've got to put this way of life behind you. And in Scripture, he says this, and I will do the same. I will put your way of life behind us, and I still commit to you to be faithful only to you. Years ago, we were at a pool party in, in, the, in the summer, and we were at some friend's house, and it was this big cookout, and a lot of people were over there. and We'd been swimming and just goofing off and throwing the kids in the pool, and it was time for lunch, and so we come in this, this back porch area of the back of the house, and it's very lengthy, and there's one door in, and there's one door out, and it's on the far end of the porch. It's screened in, and they were kind of breaking in their house and just having everybody come over. So we had told the kids, listen, stay away from the pool, don't go in there to the pool while we're eating, and so everybody's inside, and we're eating, and it's towards the end of lunch, and so everybody's kind of, you know, just milling around and talking, 
And all of a sudden, somebody says, Carrington's by the pool. Well, at that time, she was about two and a half years old. And she was standing at the edge of the deep end. And we all stood up, and she just jumped in. Just like she was Michael Phelps. No, not a worry in the world. Well, she sunk all the way to the deep end. And so I get up, and I'm running all the way. And the pool's over here, so I have to run, I have to run this way and backtrack. Well, there was a, a former a Miami Dolphin that was there as well. And you might or might not believe this, but he actually beat me to the door. He was a little quicker. <laughs> he was in shape. <laughs> and um, <laughs> rounds of shape, right? <laughs> so we run to the edge, and we get there about the same time, and then we turn the corner to run back through the yard to get to the pool. All the while, my two-and-a-half-year-old daughter is at the bottom of the deep end. And we're getting there as fast as we can, and he dives in, the shallow end, and I'm running alongside the pool, and I look, and she's, she's on the bottom like this. Her eyes are open, and her arms are lifted up, and I'm just looking at her, and I jump on my stomach down into the pool, and I'm reaching down, and he grabs her and picks her up and hands her to me, and I pull her out, and she's spitting up water and coughing and choking and just what you would do, and many of you have probably experienced that at some, some level. You know what I didn't do? I didn't yell at her. I didn't spank her. I didn't grab her arms and shake her and say, what were you doing? We clearly told you not to go to the pool. I didn't chastise her. I didn't belittle her. I didn't beat her. I picked her up and I made sure she was okay. And I told her I loved her and I hugged her. When someone that we love and someone that we care about is in trouble, we will go to any measure possible, even if it's their fault, to save them from the doom that awaits them. And this is what Hosea is doing in the life of Gomer. And this is what God is doing in your life and in my life today. The third thing we see in this passage is that God restores us beyond all expectation through repentance. Don't miss that. Through repentance. There is false teaching that permeates churches and especially Western cultures, and even films that are, that are deemed Christian films, that, that God loves you no matter what, and at the end of the day, if you're just a good enough person, you will see him. Because God is love. God is love. But God is also a God of justice. And sin, my sin, your sin, the sins of the world, have to be atoned for. They have to be judged. And only people who have experienced the salvation of Jesus Christ through repentance, according to God's word, word, will understand and experience and walk in him with that. You see, Gomer was worth something to Hosea. After having children together, she goes back to her old way of life. She may have even been a temple prostitute at the Baal temple or a slave concubine of another man. Eventually, she, she has compelled herself into slavery. And Gomer's sin had, had worn her out. 
Now she's been stripped of her beauty, her value, her worth. She's being sold. And the price was very low. It was less than half an ounce of silver and some barley, a grain that's even inferior to wheat. The name Gomer means perfect, possibly referencing her appearance and her desirability, but now it's gone. What is repentance? Repentance is confessing our sins. But it's not just that. It's not just confessing your sins. It's walking away from your sins. It's walking away from the activity in your life and in my life that keep us from walking with a God who loves us and made us to know him and to make him known. Hosea 14.2 says, Take with you words and return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all your iniquity. Accept what is good. Repentance is not only confessing of our sins, but repentance removes our idols. It's turning away from, I have, in ministry, as long as I've been in ministry, in conversations that I've had with teenagers and dads and grandfathers and people, there are a lot of people that will Admit to their wrong, but very few people are willing to leave it. Very few people are willing to embrace that God is calling them to something greater than the sin that entangles their lives. Whatever your hobby is, Jesus is better. Whatever your addiction is, Jesus is better. You're you're wrapped up with career advancement and trying to obtain more money and acquisition of goods. Jesus is better. And there are things that we put in our life that, that sidetrack us and keep us from pursuing a God with all of our heart and with all of our soul and all of our mind and all of our attention and affection. And those things are idols. I think it was Martin Luther, John Calvin said that our heart are idol factories. We just invent idols, constantly making idols. And so it's not just a tear down, a pull down of the idols in my life, in your life, a one and done. We have to constantly be vigilant in kicking over the idols of our lives. We have to put the litmus test, the the Bible is God's word. We have to put the litmus test of God's word up against our life and run it through the filter of his will and what we know is perfect and pleasing. Hosea 14.3 says, Assyria shall not save us. We will not ride on horses and we will say no more our God to the work of our hands. And you, the orphan, finds mercy. They're saying, listen, you are calling us to repentance. No longer will we trust in this nation. No longer will we trust in our wealth. No longer will we trust in our own ability to create for ourselves uh, money and work. We will trust in you because we have been orphaned. Romans 8, 5 through 17 says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons, whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, and heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ. You see, repentance is more 
than just saying you're sorry. Repentance requires us to willingly lay down our way of life. You may have confessed your sin at some point in your life, but are you still walking in it? You see, you can be an adulterer and an adulteress and still be a Christian, but you can't be a practitioner of those things and walk with God. You can be a thief or a hate monger or a racist but you, and still be a Christian, but you cannot actively participate in those activities and still walk with God. We have to repent, which is the confession and admonition saying, I realize I'm wrong, I'm sorry, and God, only you can forgive me. And if I've wronged anyone else, I want to make it right with them. But at some point, we have to turn our back on our sin and leave it at the foot of the cross. And Hosea is asking Gomer to do this as the Father is asking the nation of Israel to do this, and as God is asking you and I to do this this morning. The last thing we see in this passage is that God has a glorious future in store for his bride. I love that the Bible uses familial language. It just says that we're co-heirs with Christ, that we're brothers and sisters of the King. That we're no longer orphans. That Jesus is the bridegroom and we as the church are his bride. And at some point, he will return for the bride. We read about that in Revelation chapter 19. Uh, you can just see that later. It says, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of a mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. The marriage supper of the Lamb has come, and his bride have made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. I read that, and you may not have an understanding of God's Word or, or have kind of a, a Christian background or be familiar with what that is, but this is the, the unification of those who are Christians and Jesus in heaven. And there's a celebration that's going to take place. We read about it in God's Word, and we anticipate it on this earth. And we don't talk about the second coming a whole lot, but there is a time coming when Jesus Christ will split the eastern sky and step back into what we know is this realm of eternity. And only those of us who know him will be with him. God had, had moved Hosea, I mean, uh, Gomer from slavery to salvation by way of Hosea. And he was trying to use Hosea to, to teach the people of Israel the exact same thing. And Sunday after Sunday on this platform and platforms around the city and around this nation and around this world, whether it's under a palm tree on, on some type of island in the Maldives or it's in an underground church in China and they're under the only light in the room is a 40-watt bulb hanging from the ceiling. They're, whoever is teaching a Sunday school, a small group lesson, a home group, whatever it is, it's this. Leave your former way of life. 
and commit your ways to Jesus and wave the white flag of surrender and come to him. Can you imagine what it was like that day as Gomer was on the auction block? Standing there, partially clothed, towards the end of her days and usefulness. Too ashamed to look up at the crowd. Who buys a person anyway? So they start off usually with the lesser goods. They probably would have started off with her. Ten shackles. And all of a sudden from the back of the crowd, someone says, 15 shekels and some barley. And the auctioneer says, well, sir, this is, this is for her. We're going we're gonna to move down the line here in a few moments, but she's only 10. And Hosea again says, no, 15 shekels. I want to make sure I get her. He comes up forward and he hands the auctioneer the coins and the barley. And she's too ashamed. She doesn't recognize the voice. Her face is downcast. And here comes another man just to use her and abuse her, to take from her. And instead of a, a, a chain or a rope or a strong hand, she feels a robe go over her back. And she looks up, not into the eye of someone who wants to take from her, but into the eyes of someone who wants to give to her. It's her husband. And he says, come home. Don't do this anymore. I'm committing my life to you. Because my love for you is unconditional. And God's love for the nation of Israel is unconditional. And God pursues those of you that are in this room who do not know him. And can I, just, I know you don't know me, but I promise you with every fiber of my being, it's because he loves you and his love for you is unconditional. But you have to repent. Would you pray with me this morning? With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, we'll give you an opportunity in a moment to respond to the God that we just talked about. A God who loves you. A God who pursues you. A God who knows you and wants you anyway. You may have come to church all your life and made deals and said, not this Sunday, next Sunday, not this week, not this month, not this year when I get a little bit older. Today is your day. Stop making excuses and walk to the one who gave you the ability to walk. Jesus is calling. You. He wants you. And this is bigger than joining a church. This is bigger than joining a denomination. This is about getting right with a holy God. Whom right now you may have nothing in common with, but he has bought you with his precious blood of his son Jesus. That's the price. You and I cannot save ourselves. You'll never be able to. Jesus provides salvation for you if you will trust him.
Father. Lord, I pray that you would convince every heart, including mine in this room, that you are better and that you would call those who don't know you to themselves. Those of us, Father, that have idols set up, that have walked away willingly like Gomer, who have walked away willingly like Israel, that, Father, we would return to you recognizing your great love and desire for us. And so, Father, would you help us to put to death the pride that keeps us from being passionately people who are passionately pursuing you. In Jesus' name.